that is the whole thing. And here there is a catch 22 in the sense that what is expected in this listening is that one is able to suspend the ahankara. And it is also true that unless you suspend the ahankara, you cannot listen. And unless you listen, you don't know how to suspend the ahankara. So this is one of those wonderful Vedantic paradoxes that are there. And so we encourage the, the concept, you know, we encourage Shraddha. Shraddha is trust, you know, trust in the teaching. And how do we cultivate the trust in the teaching? We see that it is a means of knowledge in and of itself. Just like when you trust your eyes and say, I saw it with my own eyes. So when you trust the Shastra, that is called Shraddha. The trust, you know, on the Shastra. And yesterday some very good questions were asked. I want to address those and as a way to further this conversation. Yesterday some, you know, some people said, well, one person said, you know, I have met many good teachers, but I've never met the perfect teacher. And uh, so the, the, I've never met anybody who is perfect. So when we see that, what we, when we say that, what we are saying is that we, it's, it says more about ourselves than the teacher. It says that I am in search of perfection. And then we say, in Vedanta we say, welcome home. Because this is the place where you are told you are the most perfect thing there is. That is the teaching. That is the whole, you know, culmination of the teaching is that you are here. Yeah, So you are the whole. There is nothing other than you. You are alone, it, or kuch nahi hai. You know? So, but yet I don't feel perfect. Why don't I feel perfect? Because of the habitual orientations, because of ajnanam, etc., etc. And so one is encouraged to, see in this teaching, one more thing, in this teaching we find that there is a, um, there is a, an interesting situation. And what is this situation? The situation is that I go to the teacher for what? You know? Why do I go to the teacher? To study, to learn, correct? And every other branch of knowledge also has a teacher. You know, there is dance guru, music guru, even cooking guru, life guru. Yesterday we talked about various forms of gurus, correct? What is the difference between that, all those gurus, and the guru who is giving knowledge of the self? What is the difference? You know? Huh? Lineage, yes, very good. Lineage, because and sometimes even the cooking gurus come from a lineage, and so do the dance gurus. <laughs> yeah, do you know? And they write books also. This is how grandma cooked, and this is how, you know, I'm cooking like just like grandma. So that's also a kind of a lineage. But that's wonderful because here the teacher is communicating the lineage in a very specific way. But the main difference between the Vedanta guru. What happened? You were just there. Where did you go? Oh, you sitting on the floor? Yeah, come this side. <laughs> I was looking at her. I said, she disappeared. <laughs> Is there a problem? Yeah. Hopefully not in that manner. Yeah, come closer this way so I can look at you. So, <laughs> so there we have, here in, in, the, in the tradition, in the parampara, in the 
Atmajnana, the guru who gives Atmajnana, the main difference between that guru and other gurus who teach all these Aparavidya, what is called Aparavidya Vishaya. Aparavidya Vishaya means the knowledge of objects. See, the other gurus are giving knowledge of objects which you can pursue intellectually. And here, this guru is giving the knowledge of the subject, which is what kind of a subject? A subject that is never subject to objectification, that kind of a subject. So that is the main difference. Brahmavid Brahmaiva Bhavati, there is a sentence in the Upanishad. The knower of Brahman, quote unquote, becomes Brahman or is Brahman all the time. So this poses an interesting dilemma because you know, like somebody who's teaching botany doesn't go green after after teaching it for 20 years. <laughs> botany with, you know, green bhagati. No, exactly. Neither does, you know, a teacher of microbiology become, you know, a microbe. Yeah, and then you have to look up to the teacher because hanging from the ceiling like a urnanavi. What is that? Spider. <laughs> This is, this is a very, you know, different, you know, this is a very different cup of tea. Because here, the teacher is to be looked upon as non-separate from the teaching. So the teacher is to be looked upon only as a medium of the teaching itself, nothing other than that. And that is where I require Shraddha. Because, you know, being a human being, I see other things. I look upon the teacher as one more person in the universe. And there are some things I like and some things I don't like. Some things I find short, you know. You know, the you know, teacher is perhaps, you know, sometimes, you know, we have all these stories in the Upanishads. Teacher is short-tempered and, uh, you know, the teacher yells. Teacher gets gussa, gussa means, you know, angry and uh, all these things and uh, you know generally that is not there but if one were to encounter certain foibles the temptation is to make a judgment on the person and say how can x teach me this when they are doing y you know this is the, the this is the feeling so i need a perfect teacher because I have to have this, I have to just, otherwise I cannot trust this. I need a perfect teacher. Where shall we bring a perfect teacher? So instead we have to see the teacher as a teacher of perfection rather than the perfect teacher. The teacher who teaches that you are already perfect. And if you are already perfect, the teacher is also already perfect. No, but what about the annoying habits the teacher has? <laughs> How should I reconcile that? You have to, you know, you have to go beyond Kshanti. Ah, correct. Yeah, very good. <laughs> Yesterday's class, everyone remembered. I am so proud of all of you, so happy. Yeah. You have to have Kshanti there and also some Shanti without the K. And uh, you have to ask yourself, what am I doing here? Why am I here? Am I here to write a biography of the teacher's habits and personality? Or am I here to gain the knowledge? And you know that the temptation is to want to get to know the teacher 
at a, at a level of the personality. And we find this in little children. They always ask me, what is your favorite color? <laughs> this week itself I have been asked many times. You know? What do I say? Orange. Because, <laughs> you know, they are wanting, this is not the time to give a treatise on Vedanta. <laughs> they are cute, you just have to love them. Yeah, that's all it is. So I will always say orange. Yeah, this also satisfies her desire. She said, am I going to come in the lecture one of these days? And there she is, yeah. <laughs> so, there is one of the children who asked me, what is my favorite color? So like this, uh, you know, not just on part of children, but even on the part of adults, the desire is to get to know the teacher at the level of the personality. You know, this is something that is... Uh, that will always lead to disappointment. Absolutely. This is a setup for disappointment. Because, you know, the teacher is not the kind of person to hang out. And, <laughs> and so, you know, this leads to disappointment. Or even if the teacher says, okay, I'll hang out with you, and the teacher hangs out, you know, suddenly you say, I don't like this person at all. You find that your ragadveshas are not gelling well with, with the personality of the teacher. So really speaking, you know, this, this is kind of comes in the way, this kind of a um, relationship with the teacher other than the teaching, for purposes other than the teaching, vitiates your own pursuit in a way, because in your own pursuit, what you want, you want the knowledge. In fact, you want to transcend your own personality, which has become a storehouse of samsara, which has become a storehouse of ragas, dveshas, all kinds of pains, fears, sorrows. And in fact, that is what we are relegating as mithya. And that is what we are saying that we have to overcome. Because, you know, underneath all these ragad, the overlay of the ragadveshas, covered by, as though by the ragadveshas and the personality, is the person. So the ality comes and goes. We are trying to discover the person. Reality is an add-on, you know? Yeah. It's an add-on. That is, you know, who cares what you like or what you don't like. What you are striving to know here is that you are whole, you are perfect as you are. And what comes in the way of knowing that is try to, trying to see the teacher as anything other than that. So in a way, you have to transcend the teacher's personality and see the teacher as a mouthpiece of the tradition and not worry about the teacher's likes and dislikes and whether they are matching yours or not. It's not some kind of a compatibility test. Yeah. Because here what is at stake is, the, uh, is that knowledge. So that, all this is, you know, the short, in short form is called Shraddha, where the personality of the teacher is not here in any way under consideration. That is not the job description. So the main thing is to, is to understand the teaching. That is all that is there. And if, the, if you know, it's like going to look at a mirror. You know, when you look at the mirror in the shop, you make sure that you find something that projects you in the slimmest possible way. 
and you look at it from all angles and this is what you are doing, you are buying the mirror, correct? And the next day you hang it up in your house and you look at it, you hang it in your room and you look at it yourself, you are not looking at the mirror. You are now using it to look at yourself. Same thing here with Atma Vidya also. The teacher is needed because it's a part of the whole pursuit. It is impossible to learn it on your own. This is not an intellectual pursuit. It is a pursuit that transforms you completely, if you will allow it. And so therefore, the teacher is part and parcel of the deal. And in this, relating to the teacher becomes inevitable. And so, that relationship is based on what is called a trust. I have to trust the teacher and see that, okay, I am being led somewhere and let me be led somewhere. That is what it is. It's a trust that will pay itself. It will be explained later. After you understand, you will say, okay, this trust is worthwhile. Without this trust, I couldn't have studied. And so to keep, to keep that Shraddha, is, is, is very necessary and this Shraddha is a value. In fact, instead of Acharya Upasana, we could have just said Shraddha because really the whole thing is about Shraddha. This Shraddha has value in the Upanishad and in the Bhagavad Gita as well. In the Bhagavad Gita it is said, Shraddhavan Nabhate Jnana. Even if you don't have other values, if this value is there, it is enough to gain the knowledge. So the way in which I am able to transcend the personality of the teacher, it becomes an exercise for me to transcend my own personality. So I practice using the, the, the teacher, you know. So the teacher is then seen as a principle rather than a person, as a principle who is the mouthpiece of the tradition, who carries the tradition. And then what happens in the process of the learning is that, you know, being, having a human mind, one always sees in the teacher, you know, a mother, a father, a friend, whatever one wants to see. And then what happens is that the trust grows when you say, oh, this is just like my father, this is just like my friend, the trust grows. So first there is a positive transference called Shobhana Adhyasa and then you know it doesn't take long for one to get disappointed and it becomes what? Ashobhana Adhyasa, a negative transference. The transference will happen, it can happen and it's okay, it's in fact not bad at all. The only thing is at that time I have to come back to the Shraddha and come and you know, at that time, you know, what is happening is two individuals have come to the teacher. The child wants a parent and the adult wants teaching. These are the occupational hazards of being a teacher. Yeah. So, who to attend to? You know, the teacher will always attend to the adult, unless it's a dire case, you know. <laughs> Teacher will always attend to the adult's need. Adult wants teaching. And at the same time, the inner child wants a mother or the father. 
is looking for that mother or father who will never abandon it, who will never, you know, not look at it, who will always love it because that's not how its own parents were or so it thinks. Even when one has the best of parents, this is what one thinks. It's the child's thoughts, the child's limitations. And so therefore, you know, it is uh, when this transference comes, one has to take care of this inner child that is wanting that mothering or fathering or whatever it is. And make sure that only the adult is unleashed in front of the teacher. Sometimes it's not possible, it's okay. After a while one, one learns how to deal with this. So all this comes under Acharya Upasana Shraddha because really speaking, in the pursuit of this knowledge, there is, the, the will is not there at all. There is no will. Just like when you see an object, there is no will. In seeing a flower, there is no will. The flower is in front of you, eyes are open, eyes are functioning. What does the will have to do there? Even if you say, I want, you will see the flower, correct? Yeah. So this way, same thing, this, the words handled properly, the words of the Shastra, the teaching, handled properly by a teacher who has been taught properly, they also are a means of knowledge that help you see something that about yourself that you are unable to see because you are in the, in the midst of it, because you are believing in it because you are unable to see it, because the, there is some block. So the knowledge removes that block and makes sure that you are able to see this. So there is no will involved at all. It's just a means of knowledge being deployed. Every means of knowledge has an arena. Eyes see color and form. Ears hear sounds. You cannot exchange. You cannot say, today my eyes are tired, I'll read with my ears. You cannot do that. You know, and this everyone accepts. But as soon as I say, you need a teacher for this knowledge, why so fanatic? You know, they say, why only one way? Why can't I just intuit it? Well, the intuitor is Atma. Why can't I guess it? The estimator is Atma. You know, there is a kartra karma virodha. There is a subject-object contradiction. That is what we have to understand. And in all other branches of knowledge, the knower is intact. First I was the knower of Greek, now I learned Chinese, I'm the knower of Chinese. Then I ah, changed over to Chinese food, now I'm the knower of Chinese food, Chinese food, Gyata. And you know, Gyata, Pramata. Pramata means knower. So this Jnata slash Pramata is always intact. You just change the branch of knowledge. This is the only knowledge where the knower is knocked off. Because that's how the subject-object distinction is no longer there, it's all knowledge. It's that same consciousness from which the knower has arisen, from which the known has arisen, knower, known, or mithya, all there is is all knowledge, all, you know, all just uh, that sentience and knowledge. So the knower is knocked off here. This is not a small, you know, this is not some kind of a, a pursuit where you have to memorize things. Because people give all kinds of excuses not to pursue this knowledge. And the favorite one, 
not mine, other people's. People's favorite excuse is, you know, I don't have memory. My memory is going. So therefore I'm not attending Vedanta classes. It's not thankfully dependent on your memory, it's you. It's you. You know, it's you. Do you know you're here? Yes. yes. You know, you don't say, let me take my ginkgo pill and then I'll get back to you. <laughs> yeah, when the memory comes back, I'll get back to you. You're never in doubt, it's you. And how do you, very important question, how do you know that your memory is going? Huh? How come you didn't forget that? That you will never forget because it's not based on memory. It's based on I. That sentient, all knowledge, all consciousness, that I, that alone is being talked about. Yes, you may not remember the Sanskrit rules, you may not remember the quote quotations from the Upanishads, that is memory based. But it, it's not based on memory, this operation of removing the Ajnanam as it were, is not based on memory at all. So there goes that excuse. <laughs> what else is left? You know? So Acharya Upasanam here means uh, taking this, you know, uh, this undertaking is a serious undertaking, recognizing it as a serious undertaking. And even in the Upanishad uh, talks about the need for the teacher in this knowledge. Pariksha lokan karmachitan brahmanaha nirvedamayat nasya kritakritena tad vijnanartham gurumeva abhigachet. Having gained dispassion, you know, dispassion means what? AKA being dejected by all the pursuits and not going anywhere. Going uh, to each pursuit and finding that everything is a dead end, wanting something else other than this. And then finally coming to the understanding that, you know, nasti akritaha kritena. In this Kritena Karmana, through the actions that I am doing, what I really want is a freedom from the notion of what, you know, an incomplete person, a self-judgmental person, a self, you know, discontented person, self-critical person. This is the freedom I want. I am not getting this through my actions. So perhaps there is something else that will help. And knowing this, you know, Guru Meva Abhigachet, may this person who has this enquiry approach a teacher. And how to approach is also given with some sticks of wood. Because if the teacher is a grahastha, the teacher will have to do yajna, and so this wood is there. And of course, some of these, uh, um, whatever you know, some, some wrongly interpreted this as, oh, you have to cut wood from the tree. Hinduism is not an ecological tradition, no. You have, to, you have to pick up the twigs that are fallen on the ground. That's how you do it. You don't cut from the tree. No, never cut from the tree. So instead of letting the teacher do that, you do that. And uh, you know, you, you, you do that and you collect, you tie the bundle of twigs and then you offer it to the teacher. It's not that the teacher is waiting for your twigs. Yeah. But it is a, it is an attitude of being present for any service needed. The verb to hear, you know, is called shrewd. Don't confuse it with S-H-R-E-W. Ah, not that shrewd. 
Sanskrit shru. Yeah. S R U. Shru. Yeah. This shru. Shru is a dhatu. That means to hear. The desire to hear is called shushrusha. Can you say that? Shushrusha. 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 Shushrusha means Shrotumicha, the desire to hear. But what has happened is that it has become a synonym for seva. It's not seva at all, it's the desire to hear. And you know, you can't just hang around the teacher, you know, <laughs> gawking at the teacher. So you make yourself useful in the hope that the teacher will give some pearls of wisdom while you are doing some seva. So therefore, seva and shushrusha have become, you know, aligned. And this is what it says in the 36th chapter, 36th verse of the 4th chapter. Tadviddhi, know that, pranipatena, pariprashnena, sevaya. Pranipata is falling flat on the floor, namaskara. You know, that is bending. And lots of wonderful things happen when one bends, you know. There is a certain humility and also it's a slimming, slimming thing to bend, yeah. And the Madhya Pradesh region becomes slim, yeah. And so all these things are highly recommended. And then Pariprashna, asking correct questions at the right time. And then through Seva. Can some of you come forward? I can't see the people in the back a little bit, yeah. There we go. So through Seva also, uh, these, these are the ways to understand this teaching. This is what is said, you know. Then what? Upadekshanti te jnanam, jnaninaha tattvadarshinaha. So those who know will definitely give you this knowledge. And, and so therefore Acharya Upasana coming here is a very important value to cultivate. Because in the process of desiring to have a teacher and learning how to relate to the teacher, one gets other things which, which are kshetragnya qualities like humility, you know, shraddha and all this one gets in addition to the knowledge. The ability to relate, the ability to transcend the personality, all these things one is able to gain. This is just, you know, wonderful. Then the next one is called shaucham, you know, from shucha, shuch, cleanliness. And you know, this is, I don't need to spend a lot of time over this. You know, this is self-evident. And uh, why is it self-evident? Because you know that if you are, uh, you know, wanting, if you are wanting some kind of an inner calm, and you are sitting amidst a chaos, a tsunami of papers, yesterday's food, and day before yesterday's dishes, and then you say, okay, I'm now going to meditate. You know, sitting there. And, you know, there is even one advertisement. You know, they, 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 I saw this on, uh, just now when coming here, I saw this on, or maybe the last ride, plane ride I took, I forget. It was in between in the layover. And I was sitting at the gate and they flashed this advertisement. They blindfolded this person and took them, you know, in a filthy place full of all kinds of food. And then, uh, and then that man said, oh, I just feel so calm. <laughs> 
it's so, it smells so wonderfully. And it was some uh, air freshener. Peace. 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 Yeah, whatever. Yeah, so that, that. Yeah. So, Febreze. False breeze. Yeah, that's what it is. If you know Sanskrit, you can have fun with English. So, this is a compound for false breeze. Yeah, so this is what it is. So, you know, there the person was blindfolded and then some uh, fus, fus, some spray was put and therefore, you know. <laughs> so, then you could, you could smell nice and but as soon as their eyes were opened, literally, they were, they ran away from them, you know. So here, in your own house, there, a certain order is needed. We don't want to be obsessive, compulsive and have everything, you know. And some, there are some people like that also. And not only in their own house, if they are visiting also, they are, their mind is not at Shanti, they will start, at, you know, addressing the timepiece on the, on the counter. They will go to the mantelpiece and uh, visually measure the distances between the object of arts. And they will, when, when the host is not looking, they will give the, <laughs> give the, the, the crystal objects a good and a quick dusting, you know, for free. You know, free mix of kuch. Yeah, and you know, this is, this is going overboard. Yeah, this also is not needed. This is, this is actually not healthy. You know, so we are talking of the middle path. Yeah, middle path. And so, where one is not so obsessed with how things look, you know, aesthetics are important, that's very nice. But it's not to, uh, to be carried to the nth degree where you lose your peace of mind. Aesthetics are for the peace of mind. You can't afford to lose your peace of mind, then it would be uh, uh, totally pointless. Yeah, so that is how it is. You know, you can't just have all the containers look the same and facing the same way and all this. It's just a big headache. You have to let that go. That is not shaucha. Yeah. It's just too much. That is called OCD. Ah. You know, that's what it is. And then, you know, and then on the other side. Yeah, see, I'm, I'm, I'm very fair. So one side, okay, now we are going to take the other side. On the other side, you cannot live like an animal. You know, as though some, uh, you know, something has thrown up in the house. The whole, you know, the whole thing is so... Because what happens is it gives agitation. First of all, you cannot find anything and then nothing is calm and nothing is in order. And you see, we are sensitive beings. The inner order and the outer order are all one and the same. This is Adhi Bhautikam, my surroundings. And this is Adhyatmika, my inner surroundings. Between the inner and the outer surroundings, there is just, you know, one Brahman. We say inner and outer. All there is, is that one sentient consciousness. So if the surroundings are cluttered, then the mind also becomes cluttered. And then it is also another catch-22. If the mind is cluttered, then the likelihood of the surroundings being cluttered suddenly goes up. So therefore, I, I keep first an, you know, external shaucha. I have a, you know, I have a routine. And the external includes the body. That is why taking a shower every day, frequently, or whatever you know one does, is a social service. Yeah, because even if you are not happy doing it, other people are very happy that you have done it. So this is brushing teeth, all this is social service. 
This is all seva. <laughs> so, so we have to we have to do this consciously. This is called shaucham. Here also inner and outer. This is outer shaucham of my body, the surroundings, and then there is inner shaucham. What is that? Antakarna. The mind is cleansed. You know, body is easy to clean. The surface is easy to clean. You can take some soap and wipe it down. You can soap the body. The soap for the antakarna. Where to get that? Hari Nama meditation. Yeah, the meditation helps to let go of the grudges. Let go of all the hangover of the emotions. That you know, every morning you take a shower. Same thing every morning you have to let go of everything. In in the night you have to clean out the mind of all the things that happened during the day. You know, you just wipe it down. You meditate. You calm down. You do yoga, pranayama. All these are forms of inner shaucham. And then waking up in the morning so that the residues of the dream world are not with you and haunting you during the day. Then you do another, you know, cleaning. At least twice a day, sometimes many times, is as many times as is needed. There are no rules for this, but as many times as is needed, I make myself do this cleaning. And the inner shaucham is important because it's not just you know grudges and fears from the past, but it's also active emotions, fear, jealousy, raga dvesha. Ragadvesha means strong preferences, likes and dislikes. All these things are just agitating the mind. Jealousy, you know those six negative emotions. What are they? You know, kama, ragadvesha, anger, and then uh, you know avarice, delusion, and then what else? Pride and jealousy. These these are the things that crowd the mind. And of these. The jealousy is the worst. All other things somehow are manageable, and th- therefore, in one place in the Gita, it's uh, describing a jnani. He, Lord Krishna says, you know, he is the sarvatma and everything, and then he says, vimat saraha, beyond jealousy. I mean, there's no need to say that jnani is beyond jealousy. Jnani should be beyond jealousy, but to highlight this value, it says that, and for this. You know, this pratipaksha bhava is very important. Yesterday we talked about that. Find something to appreciate in the person. So you you see something nice in the person and appreciate the person, and therefore you, the jealousy comes from you know uh, you know when the other person is going up in life, or you presume that that is what they are doing. In fact, they may not want be wanting that at all. They will have their own. Uh, uh, you know worries, and so you presume that they are doing very well, and then you feel bad because you are not doing as well as they are, presumably, and you want what they have. I mean that is envy still, but then you hate them for having what they have. You want to somehow, you know, bring them down so that you can have what they have. This is called matsara, and so. This is the worst one, very difficult, and so therefore you have to get to this place. I mean, even though it looks like faking it and making it, it works because really speaking, you are not jealous. No, but I am. You don't know me. No, that's not you. 
What is jealousy is not you. It's a floating emotion, floating on the power, the bala, uh, the strength of ignorance, self-ignorance. If the self-ignorance is itself mithya, it's just a, as though covering, really speaking, you are not jealous. The what are you? You are an appreciative, non-demanding, contented person. So kshetragnya, how to, how to be a kshetragnya? You practice that. Practice the appreciative, non-demanding contentment in all the people that you meet, especially the people that you cannot stand. Especially the people who you resent, especially the people who criticize you. Because that is how all these pain and sorrows and guilt and hurt keeps accumulating. So people who criticize you, you just thank them for giving an opportunity for self-growth. This is all inner shaucham. And family-wise, you can practice inner shaucham by a very simple technique. You have one weekend day, you know, dedicated to only appreciation, no criticism. In this very hall, a couple of years ago, I discussed this. And uh, it, uh, it was met with a lot of uproars. But today you are all very quiet. So, <laughs> so I'm, taking that, I'm taking that as a, as a, as a big uh, growth. Yeah. Today nobody is saying anything. Last time there were a lot of protests. <laughs> what do you mean? How long I should criticize? Five minutes? No, 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 the whole day. Oh, working day? No, no, no. Weekend day when you have to be with the children. When you have to be with the you, you Take this pact. Yesterday we took Ahimsa pact and like this you can take this no criticism, only appreciation day for all the people in the family. And then what happens? You feel like criticizing. You know, because especially when you take a vow like this, immediately you feel like criticizing. No, they will say that something has happened to this man. Yeah, that also, but you are doing this with the family. So immediately as soon as you do this, you will feel like criticizing. And what do you have to do? You have to stop the urge from criticizing and the urge is not so easy to go, okay? So what do you have to do with the urge? You convert it into a praise. You find something to praise and convert it into a praise and each one keeps praising the other. And you record the praises because it's only going to happen once a week. <laughs> and so if they contradict you the next day, you can play the recording, see? <laughs> This is what you really think of me. What you are saying now you don't mean. This is what you really think of me. What you said on the weekend. What you said yesterday. This is actually a very nice way. And if one day a week seems too much, start for half a day. You know, if half a day which is 12 hours seems too much, start for 8 hours. You know, that is also too much, 4 hours. Like this you start and this is what is called inner shaucham. Ajarya Upasanam, Shaujam, and the next one is Sthairya. Sthirasya Bhava, Sthairya. Sthira means stability. Here also two meanings are given depending on where one is in one's life. Adi Shankara, of course, is the extreme sannyasin and he gives the extreme meaning first. And what is that meaning? You know, letting go of all pursuits other than the study. Yeah. Moksha is 
All, that's all I stand for. I don't want anything other than this knowledge. You burn all your bridges, you don't, you know, you don't have a bank account, you don't have anything, you just say, I just want to, I want this, I'm taking this study seriously and nothing is going to bring me back. And after that you don't do a Vishwamitra, okay? Yeah, that everybody knows, right? So you don't change your mind and go after something or the other because all pursuits are given up just for this. This is the first meaning of sthairya. Very interesting. So sthairya means you, you, your, uh, your uh, mental uh, commitment towards this knowledge which gives freedom is unswerved. It's an unswerving commitment. You know, generally the commitment is very strong. And once you leave the classroom, something happens, you know. Then it is in question sometimes. And sometimes what happens? It is in question in the sense of, I know I should be attending class, but I don't feel like it, you know. I know I should be doing this. I should be pursuing Vedanta, but somehow, you know, so many other things are there and it is difficult. And uh, I know I should do this, but can I also pursue samsara at the same time? And then when all the activities that I want to do are done, then I'm going to pursue this. This is a mistake because this is not one yet one more pursuit. It is the ultimate pursuit that informs all other pursuits and gives every other pursuit a direction. With this you can pursue and excel at anything. Without this all pursuits are dead ends. And it leaves you dead end, jaded, faded and dead end. That's all it is. So therefore this, you know, this is what is called sthairya. I see the connection between this feeling of bondage, this notion of bondage, which I'm convinced is actually an ocean of bondage. And then what? And then the study, which is going to free me. I have to see the connection. Sadhana is the study and sadhya is the freedom. Sadhana, practice means sadhya, goal. The goal is the freedom and the freedom is through understanding this because the, the freedom is already gained. Oh, really? Yes, it is already gained. Everybody is mukta, free. But oh, I don't feel it applies to me. Why? Because there is a covering. There is an as though covering where I don't understand this. And my behavior is, of course, not in keeping with that either. So therefore, you know, this all this connection between one's discrimination that I want that which is forever and what I am searching for, I am looking for the forever in, in finite places. This is the basic connection. Like the grandma's embroidery needle, which she lost back in the hut, but she was looking in the village square. Everybody joined and everybody started to look. And then suddenly somebody, after three hours of searching, they said, Grandma, where did you lose the needle? Back in the hut. Then why are we searching here? Because there is only one bulb in the village and that happens to be in the village square. There is no light there. You know? So this is what one does. There is, you know, this uh, feeling that I am not useful. 
and I have to keep doing something useful in order to justify my existence. Sage Yagyamalkya says no. Sage Yagyamalkya says the human birth is to pursue this knowledge alone. Otherwise you become an extreme hoarder. Yeah, that's what Yagyamalkya says. You just hold your, you know, buddhi. The buddhi is meant for this. Otherwise, what is the reason to have a human birth? It is not for bhoga. It is for jnana yoga, really. It's not for bhoga. It is for this knowledge and the life dedicated to pursuing this knowledge that one is free enough to do whatever else. It is not opposed to doing. Look at how much Swami Puja Swami Dayananji does, even now. It's not opposed to doing. But without it, whatever you do is fraught with limitation. With this knowledge, you're free enough to, you know, to, to be able to do things for others. Otherwise, it's just a pressure coming from some unresolved issues within. Even the noblest of intentions are contaminated with this pressure. So therefore, I have to address this pressure. All these things come under sthirata. Because the reason why that sthirata, that, that focus is not there, is because I am not convinced that this is the way. Suddenly, I want to become eclectic. You know, if I say that, you know, you have to eat through the mouth, nobody says that's so fanatic. You know, how can you be so fanatic? How can you be so narrow-minded? Why can't I eat through the ears, you know? <coughs> One cauliflower I'll put inside and just see what happens. You know? <laughs> Why can't I eat through the ears? Why only through the, you know, mouth? Okay, be on a feeding tube. Fine, you know? So that is, uh, uh, this is, this is not called fanatic. But when I say, when the teacher says that this, the, the knowledge is the only way to freedom, there is, a, there is a huge tsunami of protests that happen within. And this is because something else, some other emotional body <coughs> is, is being untangled. Some emotional baggage has opened itself in the carousel of the mind and it has spewed out its contents. And that has to be addressed. Some fear, some kind of a feeling of feeling imprisoned and trapped. This is not a trap. This is freedom. And if all the other ancestors have become free using this way, what is wrong? But yet, the masses are generally attracted to doing, not the knowledge of being. Not the knowledge of being who you are and, uh, you know, uh, loving your glory. The masses are attracted to spiritual pursuits where people are made to do things. Sit, okay, stand and do this Kriya usually having to do with air. Air is free, breathing is involuntary, and yet they will charge, you know, for the weekend to breathe a certain way. And they say, breathe out the bondage. Breathe in the, you know, breathe in the moksha. In Delhi, if you breathe in the moksha with the air pollution there, namaha, that's all I have to say. You know, this is, this is something, you know, Fine, maybe there is a, you know, if you breathe deeply, it's not a wrong thing, it's wonderful. Maybe the, the mind calms down, definitely we know the benefits of pranayama. 
but it's not going to release you from samsara. You cannot breathe your way out of samsara. You cannot. It's just impossible because breathing is an action. It is the, the it is a series of actions that have got you into this feeling of samsara in the first place. Because you acted and you reacted and there were results of those actions which you did not like and then you acted again to change them and then you reacted and got more results, life after life after life. And now all those results are waiting in abeyance to give you new, new bodies. This is what is called samsara. So the freedom from that is to understand that I am not the doer. And this cognition is there, the ignorance has to be removed. You already are free. You have to discover it through this teaching. And so this, when, when one is convinced of this, one is called Sthairya. Very nice name. One is convinced of this. And one is convinced of the validity of this pursuit. Not just, you know, coming and going and, you know, sometimes things are bad. Then they say, I think I should, I need a little, what is that? Maintenance. You know, like a car. You know, so I need a few Vedanta classes to just to, main, to, to, to keep that, tune up, yeah, thank you. Ishwar has a way with words, yeah. So, you know, I need a little tune-up, I need some maintenance. You know, few, something, a few spark plugs are not working because nothing, nothing is sparking, you know. And so I need all this changed. So I'll go to Ashram a couple of days. I'll see, I'll come, I'll come to a couple of classes. Then after that, what? as usual, business as usual. And then again one is mired in the stress and the fear and the terror and everything. Again a little bit of tune-up and maintenance. That's good for maintenance, it keeps you sane, you know. And sometimes what happens is that the people in the household also know this. They say, you are going crazy, please go and listen to Vedanta. <laughs> they will themselves tell you, children will tell you. Yeah, how long is it since you studied Vedanta? <laughs> Please go and attend some lectures. Don't be behind me. Don't be after my back. Another one is mental detox. Yeah, you know, so like this, you know, it is good for maintaining the sanity. But we are talking of, if you, we are not talking of maintenance of sanity alone, that is fine if you want to use Vedanta for that. But that is not the definition of sthirata. Sthairyam is the, not just, it's going beyond the maintenance. It's going to see that whatever I have been trying, to, it's going beyond this to see that whatever I have been trying to maintain does not even exist. <laughs> I'm maintaining things, like you're starting with this body, which is not really even there. And, and whatever body is there, it is, it has its trajectory. What is the body's trajectory? Permanently downhill. Yeah, that is its trajectory. It has come with a trajectory. It's just unfolding according to its own karma. All the diseases keep coming. No matter what one does, you can just stave it away for a little while. Then it will come back. Same thing with the mind, you know. Cognitive decline is on its way and it's just round the corner. Everything is round the corner, starting, you know, with the body, mind, sense, complex and Lord Yama is also round the corner. Everything is like this. And so to know that what this permanence and the perfection I am seeking is myself alone and this I have to know, I have to understand, this is not something to be gained in time because if I gain it in time, I lose it in time, this Viveka should be there. 
and the vairagya to drop the pursuits that have nothing to do with this you know this newly gained viveka the old pursuits that are hangers on i drop them because this is not about action this is about seeing the truth of this this is all sthirata according to adi shankara then there is another meaning that we can give sthirata means unswerving dedications to one's duty now everybody is saying finally you are talking our language <laughs> why you get this second we should have talked about this first this we can understand yes we have to do our duty we shouldn't lapse in the duty because lapsing in the duty you know makes one a bad karma yogi so i have to do my duty so the duty here also is for qualifying for the knowledge that kind of a idea of duty duty is not so that i can get back something in return what i get back in return is the satisfaction that i have done everything that i can and that satisfaction and contentment prepares me that life of uh, you know duty prepares me for this knowledge makes me responsible gives me all these values and prepares me for the knowledge that is the second meaning of sthirata you can take both of them one for the people interested in this knowledge and one for the one who are preparing for this knowledge the karma yogis etc you know for for them we can take it like that sthairyam shaucham sthairyam aatma vinigraha vinigraha here is is a say having a say atma here is not catching the atma catching having a say over one's mind mind over matter that kind of a thing and here it simply means that you know many times you don't feel like doing things there is tamas there is rajas and those tamasic and rajasic tendencies are kept at bay through this value called through cultivating this value called atma vinigraha that is how it is kept at bay sudden procrastination don't feel like doing it and then after procrastination what happens anger comes resentment comes you know you wait to do the laundry you wait to do the laundry wait to do the laundry and then you realize all you have is one hanky you know <laughs> so you have two choices either you weep into the hanky <laughs> or you decide to do the laundry correct <laughs> so therefore this is something and then when you do the laundry at that time because everything has to be ready by morning imagine the pressure imagine the pain imagine the distaste for it and then you want to do it in as few loads as possible and then the washing machine gets stuck and so on and so forth and all these things happen this is what the absence of this is called atma vinigraha atma vinigraha means not being a drama king or a drama queen starring in my own life this is reduction of the drama element yeah because first it is drama then it is trauma you see that the two are related yeah drama doesn't take long in converting into trauma ha ah, we have to be careful so i i mix the drama itself that drama you know i just uh, you know remove the d and just drama. see rama yeah <laughs> that's all it is you just don't go to the place 
where it is, it's all this reproducing this drama. And it gives a certain satisfaction. You know, it feels nice to be dramatic and throw a few things around, have a tantrum, terrorize the people of the household, feel powerful. It, it gives a feeling of power. But in the long run, it is very debilitating. It's debilitating to you, it's debilitating to your self-worth, it is debilitating to the pursuit, and it is debilitating to you as a human being because suddenly you understand something very important. You know what you understand? Like, I have to do so much to just get noticed. Oh my God, you know, this is not a good thing. So therefore, the drama quotient, when it goes down, this, this value of not needing drama, to dramatize everything in my life. Small thing happens, I just make a big deal out of it. This is not a Kshetragnya's attitude, because a Kshetragnya is always bigger than his or her problems. So the Atma Vinigraha also means growing to a place where you are bigger than your own problems. When you grow bigger than your own problems, the problem becomes small, 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 small. It's a vision adjustment and it's a testament to the growth. And this is allegorically very well portrayed in this uh, children's book called The Travels of this Gulliver. Yeah. And one time he finds himself in the land of giants. And he has to walk like this because somebody is going to, you know, make a chutney out of him. Pancake he will become. Because the, the, you know, the feet, when, the, when one of the giant's feet is there, it feels like Rahu has eclipsed the sun. It gets all dark because these fellows are so big. And there he lives in terror. He's just upset. And you know, he just cannot wait to get out of there. And he's so oppressed. And they are, you know, one of them is squeezing him and one of them wants to see if the legs come out, you know, like for the doll, you know, children do. If the head comes out, one of them is twisting the head and all these things. And he is terrified. Then he is washed ashore to another land. And what is this land? Lilliputs. Yeah. They are all tiny. And they are very scared of him. They say, oh my God, who has washed ashore here? <laughs> this big thing. So what they do is painstakingly, you know, tie each of his hairs to a peg and, uh, you know, put it down. And it takes them two days to do it. All the time he's unconscious and coughing up water and the seaweed. And then after that he comes to, he comes to consciousness. He regains consciousness. And then he says, what is this? Something scratching in my hair. That's all. He admits, you know, he, he just feels to just a little annoying irritability here, a little itching, a little, you know, pinching feeling. And then those two days of work they had done, he simply turns this side to see what, what is these shadows of these little, little things going this side. Because they're all scared and they run. And he looks to see them, the whole hair comes free. You see? Yeah. So like this, you know, one grows to be a stalwart in one's own life. And the problems become, you know, Lilliput, Lilliput people, little, little people. All the problems are soar above with this strength, which is called Atma, Vinigraha, Nigraha. It's, it's a blessing that I give myself 
that I'm going to rise above the problem. There is a certain sadhana involved here. And it, it, it involves knowing that Atma Minigraha comes from a, a, a strong spiritual practice where I have let go of all my fears at the altar of surrender. Then it is easier to not be a drama person, a dramatic person. This is what is called Atma Vinigraha. Next one, Indriya Kleshu Vairagyam. Am I correct? Because I don't have a handout today. Yeah. Is that the one? Yeah, wonderful. Indriya Kleshu Vairagyam. Vairagyam means what? You know, objectivity here. Dispassion and objectivity. Indriyartheshu with regard to the sense organs. In the Kathopanishad, there is a beautiful analogy of the horses with this chariot. So we have this chariot, which is the body. Atmanam Rathinam Vidhi. So the chariot is the human body. And the, the person, indweller, is called the passenger of the chariot. Atmanam Rathinam Vidhi. Shariram Rathame Vatu. Buddhim Tu Saratim Vidyat. Your buddhi is the driver of this chariot. Manaha pragraham Your mind is the, your, inter, your buddhi is the driver. Your, you know, mind is the reins. And what are the reins connected to? Indriyani. You know, horses. Don't say indriyani, we are talking the chariot. Yeah. So, <laughs> the horses which symbolize what? Indriyas. That's why there are five of them. And the Upanishad says, Indriyani hayani ahuhu vishayam teshu gocharam Because why are the Indriyas called the horses? Indriyas means sense organs. The sense organs are called horses because they have an ability, they have the predilection of going here and there and grazing. Yeah. So they graze in the land of the sense objects. They keep grazing, grazing, grazing. Therefore, they cannot be allowed to go everywhere, correct? Because then, what will the poor indweller do? You know, one horse is going here, another horse is going there, you will be quartered. Yeah, being quartered is called samsara because you don't know where to go. So therefore, they all have reins and the mind is holding the reins. And the mind in Sanskrit is the surface level, you know, stopping point where you say, I don't think this is such a good thing. No, you cannot go there. You, you go where I tell you to go. I'm not going where you lead me. I have the reins in my hands. You know, I have the leash. I'm the holder of the leash. And then the one, you know, the, the reins are themselves the mind and the holder of the leash is, is the, you know, is the intellect, buddhi. And the buddhi is nothing but Bhagavan, the indweller within. And that Bhagavan turns around, just like in the Bhagavad Gita picture, turns behind to the ahankara that is sitting in the chariot and teaches. This is what the whole thing is, very beautiful. And, you know, in this, the, the beautiful teaching is that you, you know, the buddhi itself here is seen as, you can say, an inner guru, the first level, you know, Viveka, this is Viveka. 
And Viveka and Vairagya are twins. They go everywhere together. Wherever they are, they are together. Because the discrimination of what to pursue and what to not pursue, you know, on that is dependent my activities. So what to never pursue, what to occasionally pursue, what to pursue all the time, if this I don't have, then, you know, there is nowhere, the chariot cannot even go forward. So where I want to go, how I should go about the pursuit. So this is all called Viveka. Vairagya is leading the chariot away from all those habitual watering holes of desire. You know, various places, the stopping points where I am used to stopping at. Uh, because they are not going to help me now. Because through the Viveka, through discrimination and self-enquiry, I have reached a place where, you know, these things are useless. This is what is called Vairagya. So that objectivity, that these things no longer belong in my pursuit. The desire will still be there and there is nothing wrong. You know what is the problem is the longing behind the desire. The longing goes. When I have a sense of belonging with this pursuit, the longing for these things goes and then the desire may be there. But the longing goes. Longing means the pressure for it to be instantaneously fulfilled. That is the one that goes. And when that goes, it is great good news. Because the desire then becomes a vibhuti. It becomes a glory. Fulfilled, wonderful, not fulfilled, theek hai. That is also wonderful. You know, it's, that's how Lord Krishna can appear with the flute. He, he likes the flute. He desires the flute. Peacock feather, yellow dress. All this is what? It's not a longing. It's a desire. And then if you snatch away the peacock feather, Lord Krishna is not going to go into depression. <laughs> Come on, I have a reputation. This is how I am known. How will people recognize me? You should have a heart. How will people recognize me without the peacock feather? So that is not there. You know? So this is how one grows. Because the Vairagya here is not trying to renounce the world or something like that. It is trying to remove the pressure of the longings and see them objectively as desires and then ha and not be under their sway. Not be under their sway. In the second chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, a whole wonderful trajectory is given. So first there is desire. Then you have an association with the desire in the mind. And then what happens, you know, so the, this association, you know, brings forth the desire in a very pressured way. Oh, I mean, actually I can have it? Wonderful. I really want it now. I want it yesterday. You know, to use the teenager's language. I don't want it now, I want it yesterday. And then what happens? You can't get it. Why? Because it's too costly or it already belongs to someone else or it has too many calories, number of reasons. You can't have it. And so what does one do when one cannot have it? Yeah. Anger comes. Whenever a desire is thwarted, anger comes. And then, you know, and then because there is anger, the thinking is impaired. Delusion comes. 
and delusion comes at the cost of interfering in my intellect, uh, in my th thought process of where, what I should be doing now. And then, when the thought process, when the buddhi itself is gone, then the memory goes, the memory of who I am, why, what is my purpose, why am I here, is this even worth getting so stressed about, that goes. And then when all that goes, the person himself, herself is destroyed. It's a whole chain of events. And the chain is described at great length because one can recognize this chain in oneself and there are many stopping points. Sangat Sanjayate Kamaha, one stopping point. That's why we stop there, even in the chanting. Sangat Sanjayate Kamaha. And then what? Kamat Krodho Vijayate. Another stopping point, okay. I was not able to stop at this pressure, at the longing. Then the, before the longing converts to anger, I was not able to stop. At the level of anger, I can stop. Krodhat Bhavati Sammohaha. Another stop. Sammohat buddhi smriti vibhramaha Another stop. Smriti bhramshat buddhi nashaha One more stop. Buddhi nashat full stop. <laughs> Pranashyati is this the... Yeah. So those other stops are small, small stops. This is a full stop. Meaning it's a, it's a dead end to the pursuit. There is no more pursuit after this. Why? Because that's how it is. The buddhi has to be kept intact. And going back to the Kathopanishad, the same thing is said there. You know, yastu vijnanavan bhavati. You know, yastu vijnanavan bhavati samanaskaha sadashuchihi saha advanaha param apnoti yasmad bhuyona jayate. So the one who is Vijnanavan, the one who has Viveka and Vairagya together is called Vijnanavan. Here Vijnana is not knowledge of Atma. This is the local knowledge, Viveka, Vairagya. The one who is equipped with Viveka and Vairagya is called Vijnanavan. Vyaha Bhavati, the one who is, who has cultivated this. What happens to that person? Samanaskaha, the mind is with them. Sada Shuchihi, we have seen Shaucham, inner and outer, so the one who is Pure-hearted, where the ragadveshas have been, the thick vegetation has been pruned, not allowed to grow too much. And then what happens? Saha advanaha param apnoti is driving on the road of dharma and gains the, goes across and gains the ultimate. And what is that? Advana means road and goal also, the destination. What is that destination? Yasmat bhuyona jayate, from which there is no coming back. That satisfaction, that contentment, as a result of which one is not pressured to do anything, this is what one gains. But the Upanishad always talks in pairs. Yastu avijnanavan bhavati, on the other hand, whereas if one doesn't have this viveka and vairagya together, if this objectivity and this passion are, are lacking, then what happens? Amanaskaha, the mind is all over the place, one is mindless, samanaskaha, mindful. Sada ashuchihi, always, you know, battling with, you know, all kinds of lack of uh, shaucha. 
lack of cleanliness inner and outer, what happens to that person? Samsaramcha adhigachati. Yeah. It's like the driver is intoxicated, the buddhi is intoxicated, and then the driver leads the vehicle, the chariot falls in a ditch. The pursuit is gone, one more life gone. Yeah. So therefore, this uh, value for Indriyarthesha Vairagyam is put little later because it is difficult to assimilate because people start to think that, you know, this means I have to give up everything. And they don't listen to the whole, you know, explanation. They suddenly start getting afraid. I have to give up everything in order to come to this class, but I love all my creature comforts and I love all my lifestyle. So therefore, that means I cannot study Vedanta. This is not about desire, it is about the pressure exercised by the desires, those demanding desires, which are binding in nature. So when the desire puts forth a demand, beware. Bring out the witness and watch it, rather than rushing to go fulfill it. Because if the desire starts to manage you, then this, this pursuit is hijacked. And then what do we have? Anahankara evacha. Uh, you know, anahankara means no ahankara, correct? No I notion at all. And that is not possible, you know, unless one is a jnani, that is not possible, anahankara. Even then, the jnani has a enlightened ahankara, a lightened ahankara, if you will. So that here, anahankara is understood relatively speaking. Relatively speaking, the one who is able to suspend the needs of this I notion. The I notion is a high maintenance guest. I shouldn't even call it guest, pest. Yeah, that's better. High maintenance pest. It always wants Abhisheka. It always wants attention. It always wants to be acknowledged. And therefore, we make everyone else, you know, we depend on everyone else to keep us in a good mood. This is Ahankara. The whole world has to bend backward to, to make me feel good. If you are the only one thinking like this, perhaps it is possible. But unfortunately, every other person is also wanting the same from you. That's why nothing gets fulfilled. So, Anahankara here means the one who is able to suspend the needs of this I notion and is ready to falsify it as it were. Ahankara is, uh, is, is like a cockroach. That's all it is. You know, as long as it's dark, it is outside. And you come in and turn the light on, it goes, vanishes, goes somewhere else. So, Ahankara is also, the definition of Ahankara in Sanskrit is what? Vicharam Nasahate, that which cannot endure any enquiry, like some of our politicians, you know. As soon as you conduct an enquiry, they don't stand this enquiry. They cannot withstand enquiry. So the I notion is also like that. It cannot withstand any enquiry whatsoever. So therefore it is called, you know, that it doesn't even exist. You are trying to you know, crown a shadow into the person which is really not even, it's non-existent. 
some more things to say about this, we'll pick it up when tomorrow. I'll stop here and then you can ask some questions. Om Purnamada Purnamidam Purnat Purnamadrachyate Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnamevavashishyate Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Shri Online also you can ask, here also you can ask. I think everybody is happy with the sound. We didn't receive a single complaint. Very happy. Thanks to, thank you, yes. Thanks to everybody who did this. to what they teach, Acharyati who inspires others also to bring out the best in them, Achinoti collects things from the Shastras and teaches. Guru, you know, Gukaraha Andhakaraha, Rukaraha Tannivartakaraha. Gu stands for ignorance, darkness, Ru is the one who removes. So, Ahankara Niroditvat, Guru Iti Abhidhiyate. Just different standpoints, the same thing. Yes. Talked about about the about the teachers, or the qualities of the teachers. Qualities of the teacher, yeah. Uh, my question was, what are the teachers' expectations for the students? Who <coughs> be considered as an ideal student? Well, in fact, the teacher doesn't have any expectations. You know, honestly, and that is for the teacher's own mental health. The teacher does not have expectations. <laughs> you know, but uh, but that was just for fun. But really speaking. The teacher is, you know, uh, the qualities of the ideal student is different, but it's not from the standpoint of the teacher. The teacher teaches anybody who has the desire to learn. And even though in the Vedanta Shastra it says you have to please the teacher. Please the teacher means it's not that the teacher has a high ego, high maintenance person, you have to keep plying them with gifts and one day they will teach. That's not the idea. The idea is you demonstrate that you are willing to learn. <coughs> in a consistent, non-dropout kind of way. And when, ah, that is the key. And when the teacher sees that you are, go, you are a serious seeker, then only the teacher will teach. It's not because the teacher doesn't want to waste time or anything like that. There is in fact an injunction in the Upanishad, in every Upanishad towards the end, Ashishyaya Adeyam. Do not give it to someone who is, who is not a Shishya. Shishya comes from the word Shikshana Yogya Iti Shishya, the one who is de deserving of being taught. So this is this is what the teacher is told. And this is not a knowledge, this is not some kind of a belief-based system. This is not like Jehovah's witness that you keep coming to everyone's doors and forcing yourself on others, or you stand in the street corner and uh, you know hand out pamphlets. This is not that kind of a thing. This in fact the teacher is waiting. You know, the, the, the student comes, the teacher is not going everywhere, you know. 
Of course, I came here, but that's a different thing. <laughs> that's a different thing, you know? Yeah. So, I came here because you invited me. So that's a different thing. So still the incumbent, you know, you, you are the ones who are deciding that I want to learn. That is the whole idea. So that being said, the teacher is not judging the student and, and being disappointed all the time because the teacher is not expecting other than a sincere desire to learn. And so from the standpoint of what do the Shastras consider an ideal student, you know, there are three words for student. One is called Ante Vasin. The one who is, you know, how is it translated? Inmate. Inmate of what? Zenitentiary. Okay? Yeah. Not penitentiary, a zenitentiary, like an ashram-like place. So, an inmate. It's a, it's a wrong uh, translation, but Antevasi means the one who stays with the teacher and learns. And then what? You have another word, Vidyarthi, the one who is desirous of knowledge. Which knowledge we don't know, and this is the person who, you know, sips here, sips there, gets everything. And the third word is Shishya. Shikshana Yogya. I have to first convince myself that I am, I am going to make myself worthy of this knowledge and I am going to lead my life so that I prioritize this knowledge. Not to become an expert in it or not to show off at parties but for my own transformation. Not to write books, not to you know, do something, not to teach. That should not be the main reason to pursue this knowledge. The main reason to pursue this knowledge is so that I can be totally transformed as a result of this. So that is the shishya. And then you know they say that there is what is called the six pack. What is the six pack? Shama, Dhamma, Uparati, Titiksha, Shraddha. We have already discussed that. Samadhanam. That is what, what we are studying now. Shama, a resolved mind. And you know, Dhamma, the control over the body, Atma Vinigraha, you don't go and cuff somebody just because you felt like uh, you know hitting them. You, you exercise restraint. And then uh, uparati, letting go of all the things that do not belong in the pursuit. Titiksha, kshanti, same thing, the ability to wait. And uh, you know, an example is how the online people have waited for the four days, you know. <laughs> yeah, and even on the day they could not hear anything, nobody logged up. They just said, okay, maybe some, some word will come, I can hang on to this. That is titiksha, very nice, wonderful. And uh, so, uh, and see, today they got the reward. <laughs> so that is what it is. So that is Titiksha. And then we have, uh, you know, Shraddha, we have discussed that. And uh, the proper attitude towards the teacher and the teaching. And then Samadhanam, a focused, single-minded focus towards the knowledge. So that is called six-pack. And then there are only three other qualifications. What are there? You know, Viveka, Vairagya, which we have discussed and a desire for this knowledge, mamukshutvam. So this is not from the standpoint of the teacher. The teacher is not bringing a measuring tape and measuring how much radha, how much vairagya, how much this. The teacher is not doing that. The teacher is simply teaching. And then the teacher is also learning from the teaching because the teacher is learning how to teach better. Because if, we, if, if I see blank faces, I say, okay, different example. This is did not go through. Yeah, so like this, you know, the teacher is, uh, is, is, is really, you know, all of you are making me into a better teacher. That's really the truth. Because when I see that something is not understood, I learn to put it differently. 
You know, the teacher is not making a judgment. What's wrong with all these people? Why are they not understanding? Because that's not the nature of the thing. It's you. It's already you. And I have to communicate in a way that you understand. And if I'm, I'm seeing that some, somebody is not understanding, there should be a different way that I have to, it's incumbent upon me, that I have to look at a different way to communicate that. So that is the, that is the shishya qualifications. What else? Is this the only tradition that encourages the dialogue? No, we, we, we had Socrates also encouraging dialogue. Yeah, Socratic, that ancient uh, Greek method, the dialogic method of teaching. So, what about the Abrahamic religions? Yeah, the Abrahamic religions are based on belief. And even because of Sanskrit, I can play here. You know, Abrahman, not the way. So, we can say that, you know. Yeah, yes. You know, coming to Abrahamic religions, uh, there's one uh, sentence by Lord Jesus uh, where he says, Be thou perfect as our Lord in heaven is perfect. Yes. I, I interpret it as saying, You are perfect. You are perfect, yeah. yeah. Uh, that would make it. Uh, that, would, that would Vedana. make it. Uh, that would make it completely Vedana. Huh? Yeah, that is, yeah, that is the problem. The problem is, you know, like I said in another context, like, like I said in another context, the, you know, the, the problem with religions that have founders is that when the founder passes away, the founder will always be very great. The followers flounder. This is what happens. The followers don't have a clue because what they said, when they said, how they said, they don't know. So, so, so many things have been attributed to Jesus that he may not have said. We don't know that. Because the church has now taken over and it has made it in, into some kind of an organized religion. And so that's a different thing. Yeah. Let's see if there is anything online. Can teaching be considered a vishesha dharma? How? How is teaching a vishesha dharma? What do you, first of all, let me ask you, what do you mean by vishesha dharma? Because I think I have a different idea of that. So if you can please tell me what you mean, I will, uh, I will answer that. Because I'm not, I'm, I'm not following the question. Anything else in the meantime? What is Vishesha Dharma? The Vishesha Dharma, as I understand it, is, uh, is, the, uh, is, the, is the way of living which is appropriate or inappropriate with regards to time, space and culture. That is called Vishesha Dharma. Samanya Dharma, that which is always the same in all situations. Vishesha Dharma, that which keeps changing according to place and time. That is what I, uh, that's what I understand, but maybe you mean something else. Is teaching a Vishesha Dharma, so is te does teaching change according to place and time? Maybe you are asking that. And if you are asking that, I would say no, not essentially, because from 10,000 years we are teaching the same thing. You know, the whole parampara is, is, is unchanged. But having said that, it, a lineage, that is not a lineage which does not constantly update itself without needing an app. Yeah. We don't need an app. We only need apta, apta vakya. Yeah. So that's all it is. So it, it, it updates itself. A lineage is not a lineage which is not speaking to the people in that particular society who are at of that particular time. 
So the teaching doesn't change, but it speaks to, because it is so universal, it speaks to everybody. And a skilled teacher will always bring it back to the culture and the society of the people who are being taught. So that it is of relevance. You have to bring out the relevance in different ways. That's all it is. But the teaching doesn't change. Teaching is sama, is the same. I think I understood what uh, you are trying to say. Mumukshu can also teach or it has to be Atmanyani who can, because Krishna Bhagavan is Atmanyani. So for yeah. this teaching to be effective. Well, the thing is that, you know, the Mumukshu no Jignasu, I would say. Can the Jignasu teach? The Jignasu can teach uh, if one, is, one has heard for some time and received it from the teacher properly. Then the Jignasu can uh, teach and usually the teacher will, can, will say, now you can be unleashed onto the world because you have studied for so many years with me and I feel confident that whatever you say, you will not, you know, you will not, uh, you know, make a mince meat out of this uh, whatever, you know, this kind of a tradition. So, that, so usually the teacher will bless the student to go and teach even while studying sometimes and that is, uh, you know, that is appropriate and also after one has studied for some time, if one feels confident and one can share with others, there is nothing wrong in doing that. One can do that. Um, but in the beginning, it again becomes a pressure. So for a while, don't worry about writing books, don't worry about teaching, don't worry about trying to convert the significant other through this teaching. Yeah, all that will leave, you know. You know, this is only, this is all about conversion, self-conversion, really. So, and when one feels at home with oneself, then everything is a possibility. So, but to, many times people come with a desire to teach, desire to intellectually gain this knowledge and write books, etc. That will be the initial desire. But if the Jigyasutvam is strong, they drop that and just study, just learn. Yeah. So there is nothing wrong with Jignasu teaching because the Jignasu also learns, you know, in a certain way, the Jignasu uh, learns, has many aha moments, it's possible when they teach, they have aha moments and so that is okay. So it's not discouraged. Good questions. Anything else? But Jignas also able to clarify. Yeah, if they are able, to, if they are able to clarify, they can teach. Yeah. yeah, no problem. We don't see a problem in that. The progress that the student is making is incumbent upon the student or the teacher. And at what point does the teacher seriously take him as a student? That okay, you are ready. Very, I need you need to be. I'll be, you know, kind of give you a structure teaching to make a progress. Yeah. You can, we'll, we'll, I'll ask you to repeat some of the parts because I'm going to answer the last part first because it's a two or three part question. Very, very nice question. And the last part question, the last part of this question is at what time does the teacher think that you are ready to pursue the knowledge? At no time. Yeah. Because the teacher is teaching and it is incumbent upon you to say, I want a deeper engagement. 
So you have to formally go and ask the teacher to be your teacher and ask the teacher for the knowledge and say, I am ready to get into a serious level of engagement. Up till now, I was just saying hello and goodbye to the knowledge from far. Now I want a serious engagement. Like I told you yesterday, how did the student approach the teacher in the Viveka Chudamani? You know, I am being bothered by the... I'm being, I'm enduring the onslaught of the hot winds of samsara. You please be the teacher and please teach me, guide me. Without this, I, I will not succeed. So it is incumbent upon the student to pursue this. Whereas the spiritual fantasy of everyone is that the teacher should choose me. <coughs> this is not a school prom. Yeah. In school prom, you can wait to be chosen for a dance or whatever they do. I don't know. But the thing is, this is, this is your own pursuit. The teacher has no pressure to teach, should not have. If, if there is any teacher who says, come, I'll teach you, run as far as fast as you can from them. Yes, this is the first survival 101, you know, in this, uh, what is that? In the spiritual minefield, yeah. Survival 101 is if anybody says, I, I, I would love to teach you, please come, I'm going to teach you, and is running behind you, run far away. You go to someone who is, you know, just barely interested in teaching, in teaching you, and you have to convince them, please teach me. Then you, then you see that ah, you are the right teacher for me. Yeah, that's how it should be. Not that the teacher is disinterested, but the teacher is not some kind of a person with a pressure to teach. 